From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. Today, we're talking about the four common missteps in retirement. Uh, And this is based on an article uh, that I will put in the show notes. So you can find that in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, either one of those. So, all right, without further ado, guys, let's get to the show. All right. So first one, when it comes to quitting your job, what considerations do we need to be making? Um, I mean, obviously at 65, we all kind of want to jump in, but um, what kind of considerations do we need to make quitting our job? Right. So, and I assume when you say quitting your job, you mean retiring to retiring. Okay. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I think the most common understanding or the most common thought folks would have when it comes to, you know, should I retire? Should I quit my job? Is you want to make sure you're not doing it too soon. Right. So, if you know if you've been working for 40 years you've been really grinding i think we can all relate to that feeling of it's it's i just want to be done i want to be able to spend time with my family do what i want to do and that's good that's a noble understandable emotion but we just want to make sure that we've done the planning leading up to that point that we have the next you know 5 10 15 years kind of laid out we have the next steps so that um, we're not putting ourselves in a position where it feels great to stop our job today, right. but then 30 years from now, you know, I'm 92 and my life expectancy might have told me I was going to live till 95 or 6. So we certainly want to make sure that we've done our due diligence, that we're not quitting too soon. But I think the less maybe uh, intuitive thought around this topic is, and I, Michael and I were talking about this earlier, we both have had conversations recently with people that um, this was true for them which is um, in the conversation I had, uh, an individual was uh, downsized. So essentially, firm was um, consolidated and they were offering early retirement packages. So we met and she her, her biggest concern was, I've got to find a job. I've got to find a next job. Mm-hmm. You know, um, her concern was, you know, with, with what she did in her company, it was fairly each, um, you know, I'm 62, who wants to hire a 62 year old? She had all these concerns and burdens. Right. And I said, well, do you love your, I mean, did you love your job? And she, you know, she was, she had a great attitude. She was grateful for it, but she was very open that she didn't necessarily have a passion for it. And I said, well, I mean, let's just look at it. And so we kind of laid it out. And when you looked at, um, she was married. So when you looked at uh, their their joint picture, what her husband uh, had been able to save, what she had been able to save, in conjunction with um, uh, what the the early retirement package was, they were comfortable. Mm-hmm. And she was sixty two, um, mm-hmm. is sixty two. They're perfectly comfortable. There was no urgent pressure, right? Given their lifestyle, that they were they were perfectly comfortable with that she absolutely needed to go back to work. So it's not just, hey, let's make sure that you're not quitting too early and you know keep your nose to the grindstone, don't look up. Um, sometimes it's the other conversation. Sometimes it's, hey, it doesn't hurt to do the due diligence and review because maybe you have more options than you think, right? Maybe it's not always about just getting that account balance as high as you can. It's about right. what life do you want to live? Yeah. And if you're at a place where you can sustain the life that you want, maybe you actually have an opportunity, maybe you have a off ramp that you didn't even realize existed. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. I, I think being aware of that is, is helpful and good. Um, 
I think so too. It's helpful to kind of think about this in the context of what risks from a financial perspective, what risks you're exposed to while you're working and then how that changes once you actually do quit your job and retire. Because when you're working, the main risks are from a financial perspective, what are the risks of, of your portfolio, right? One is you, you die early, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. you, You die early. Um, two is, volatility in your portfolio. So mm-hmm. so equity returns are up and down a lot, right? But in theory at least, as long as you're working, it that doesn't really matter so much because you're not drawing down in the portfolio. So we're not having to sell anything. Right. We're not too concerned about, you know, we know ups and downs in the market. That's what provides the return. So that's not a huge concern while you're working. Um and then uh disability. Disability, Which, right. To Adam's point as long as I'm working, I can just keep working as, and wait until markets come back. But what if I can't keep working? Why are two reasons you can't keep working? Because you're disabled or you're dead. So let's plan for those three risks. And for most people who are working, that's what you have to do. You have to have a well-balanced portfolio. You have to have life insurance and you have to have disability insurance. When you retire, you face a different set of risks. Right. So... One of the most common risks is, right, you outlive your expectancy. You live a really long time. Longevity risk. I live too long. Never a problem before you were working. That's right. <laughs> Once you retire, people would actually rather die than run out of money. That's actually true. So, yeah. Wow. So there's, there's this new set of risks. And when you talk about retirement, you're like, have you addressed these, these six risks? So longevity risk is one of them. Interest rate risk is the other. So a change in interest rates, reducing yields, has all kind of knock-on effects. Uh, inflation, mm-hmm. which is essentially the the upward climb in the cost of goods and services over time. Um, there's the, there's a tax risk. There's if 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 all my money is sitting in an IRA, then I can't. We talked about this in a previous episode. I can't pull from different places, so I'm subject to whatever tax you know, situation I've created. There's event risk. If, if I needed money immediately, right. if all my money's in equity and equities have a 2008 moment, it's going to cost you a lot to fix that roof. And then mortality becomes, life insurance becomes very different sometimes in retirement than it's been prior to retirement. So we talked to, excuse me, a set of clients that, um, in prior to retirement, he was the high wage earner. And so if you think about it, he earned $100, she earned 50 Well, in retirement, her pension was for her life only. And so prior to retirement, if he had died, they would have lost a large source of income. After retirement, her dying was a bigger financial risk to them. And they were about to cancel his life insurance. And you're like, well, theoretically, now you need to cancel your life insurance, they needed to cancel his life insurance and keep hers in place because if she died, there was a bigger risk to their future income. So thinking through each one of these risks and what we do is we just help people, we give you a grade. We say, hey, you've addressed this risk, you've addressed this risk, you've addressed this risk um, so that we are able to make sure that people are able to retire, whether it's early or we let people know, hey, you're going to need to continue to work because you don't have a plan for, for instance, the health insurance issue. Um, 
And so just answering that question for people gives them some, some solace before they make that decision. Perfect. Okay, moving on. The second common misstep in retirement, according to this article um, that I'll put in the show notes, is not rebalancing. Is that a common problem that people have? Do you, people run into that often, or is that something you see? The, the one thing you have to, to think about is, why do I rebalance a portfolio ever? Uh, and for the most part, people tend to view it as, well, I, I balance my portfolio so that I can reduce the amount of risk. Please define risk. Risk is the amount of movement up or down in my returns or in my, my account balance. Right. Well, once you retire, your situation changes. And the reason that I should be rebalancing is to generate income. Uh, it, we, we tend to think that those two things are highly correlated. The, the higher the asset balance I have, the more income I'll be able to generate. That is true at any given point in time but it doesn't hold true consistently over retirement. So the biggest, the biggest mistake that people make when they rebalance is they're rebalancing not to make sure that they're, you know, I'm sorry, they rebalance for the same reason they've always rebalanced, which is to get back in line with some asset mix that they view as less volatile. So it's, it's less that people don't rebalance. I think most people probably do, but they rebalance uh, for the wrong, towards the wrong goal. Mm. So what are the repercussions of like not rebalancing or, or rebalancing for the wrong goal? Well, so if you don't rebalance, what you end up with is, uh, a, a portfolio that if you said, you know, m my objective for this portfolio is to achieve whatever, mm -hmm. uh, a certain level of return given a certain amount of risk. Well, if you're not rebalancing that portfolio, uh, the CFA Institute did a study a while back, and, and it basically showed if you had two assets and they both were growing at 8%, I forget what the numbers were exactly, mm -hmm. but they were both growing at 8%. Well, that's yeah. not linear. They're, you know, one, right. one year one's doing well, the other year the other's doing well. Um, they weren't highly correlated, but they weren't uncorrelated. So in other words, they weren't moving perfectly together, but they also weren't moving exactly opposite of each other. What they found was if you rebalanced daily... You know, that's too much. If you rebalanced annually, that's probably good enough. If you rebalanced semi-annually, you took what should have been an 8% return, and if you just didn't do anything at the end of the time period they examined, you ended up with an 8% return. If you rebalanced semi-annually, you ended up with a 9% return. So the difference, even if you're not retired, even if you're trying to get to retirement, the difference in rebalancing is you will find yourself being able to uh, have a higher balance when you retire. Right. Once you are retired, if you don't rebalance, what you're going to be doing is holding a bunch of assets, fixed income instruments, for instance, mm -hmm. bonds that mature at the wrong time. So uh, if I have a portfolio and most of my bonds mature in five years, well, if I don't rebalance that, unless my expiration date, my you know life horizon is five years from now, Right. I have to do something to keep providing myself income for things that are five years out. And so rebalancing that portfolio means looking for the proper duration matching uh, that allows me to have income in that fifth year, that sixth year, that seven year. And if you don't do that, then what you end up with is I get to the fifth year, I've got a bunch of stuff that's matured, and now I have to reinvest it 
at whatever the interest rates are, uh, or you know, I'm subject to basically I'm a market. I'm I'm being I'm having things dictated to me by the market because I didn't plan in advance, and that's the danger. Is just that the market gets to tell you now how much money you're going to be able to live on. Right. Not ideal. No. Cool. So number three, um, we have no healthcare cost plan, which is basically not preparing for potential healthcare costs in retirement, which obviously is a big deal. Um, Adam, is that something that you talk about typically with your clients? Like, is there sort of an age bracket that you cover that more so with, or, I mean, Mm -hmm. how do you address that? Yeah, it is. I mean, again, it it is unique uh, a lot of the time to different Mm -hmm. individuals and based on, um, their family history and and what their own health history is and what we think the risks might be, what their age is. So there's a lot of factors, but I think, again, it kind of ties into the first thing we were talking about, which is um, it needs to be well thought out. Um, There's a lot of health, health costs in general are kind of interesting because they're unique. If you think about the different things you'll be spending money on and the different uh, uh, costs you have in retirement, they have a unique behavior, and, and Michael could probably touch on this, but um, I think one of, one of the most common ways people think about things is just inflation, right? So if I spend $10,000 a year this year, and it goes up 5% next year, next year I'm going to spend you know $10,050, right? So yeah, sorry, $10,500. So it's kind of this idea that um, everything goes up in general, but it really doesn't behave that way. Healthcare costs aren't very closely tracked to inflation. They go up much more quickly than inflation. And so um, it is very important to be aware of that because that uniquely affects retirees. Mm -hmm. Later in life, the more advanced age, the more you're going to be involved in the health industry, the more you're going to need those services and and goods. So having um, not only having a plan in terms of Medicare coverage tracked out and supplemental care uh, Mm -hmm. tracked out, long-term care, also having having the proper amount of your portfolio um, set aside, allocated in an inflation-protected way for that cost specifically is really important because it's not just going to go up you know, like the cost of bread or the cost yeah. of gas right. will. And consumption, the, the amount of consumption, the, the level of consumption as that ramps up over specifically for retirees is going to have a big effect on, on your portfolio in on your finances so that's the biggest one it's consumption yeah. it's it's consumption more than cost because if you think of if you think of um the average person let's say you're 65 you retire and you're going to live for 20 years these are all rough numbers if you actually live out to that end period of time uh your health care costs are pretty consistent up until about age 80 like the first you know, the next 15 years of your life, they're going to be pretty consistent. If you die before your life expectancy, if you die, you know, 10 years into retirement at age 75, then what you generally have experienced during the last six months of your life are really high healthcare costs because something happened and you, you found out you had, you know, you were in an accident, you had a disease, you had heart issues. But for the average retiree, what is going to happen is you're going to have low consistent maintenance costs like you had when you were pre-retired. And then you get to the end of your life and you have custodial care or you have some of these other issues that cause price, cause uh, the total cost 
to spike. It's not because prices went up. It's because you need a lot more of the care. You need somebody to come to your house or whatever. And so to Adam's point, healthcare costs are rising faster today than other costs. And so you need to be prepared for that. Right. Number four, taking so, uh, Social Security too early. This is the fourth common misstep in our, in our little series. Do people do that? Yes. Kind of, really. This is a very, this to me, if you're ranking, like, hey, what are easy things we can we can mm-hmm. fix? Um, like, what's the low-hanging fruit of ways we can improve retirement for, for people? Um, this is one of those things. Okay. I think there's, um, it really just comes down to a lack of, um, I don't want to say awareness, discipline? but no, it's not even discipline. I think it's just a lack of, of it's awareness. It is awareness. It's a lack of awareness of what your options are. And not only that, but what the benefits of some of the other options are. Uh, I'm not going to make it as simple as saying it's always good to defer because there's a lot of scenarios where it isn't best to defer. Um, but I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to that never even considered waiting, you know, right. never even considered going past full retirement, whether that's, you know, most folks now at 66, whether it's 67. So opening that conversation is just such a simple way of saying, hey, here's something we can do to increase the amount of total lifetime income of your retirement. Um, so just as kind of a recap, um, there's kind of three options that you have when it comes to Social Security, right? You can take it early. And when you take it early, you're taking a lower benefit per month, right? Than you would if you waited till full retirement. So what's the, what's the reason you would do that, Michael? What's, give, give us like the logic behind someone that would take it early. The, the rational reason would be if somebody knew that they had a terminal, terminal illness and weren't going to make it much past, uh, much past even full retirement. If, if somebody is 62, 63, but they know that they have a terminal diagnosis that they're only going to live five years, it wouldn't make sense for us to say, wait till you're 70. Right because they probably won't be there. That's the rational reason. Yep. And then I'll also throw in, too, just practical, practical is probably not the right word, but a realistic scenario is that, um, I mean, if you look at the average, uh, I know you love the stat, the average savings for an American today, I think it's like, it's below 50,000. It's a very low number for the average person within. 10 grand I saw or something like that. I'll talk about folks preparing for retirement. It's uh, a very low number. So one of those scenarios would be um, if you, let's say you're you're downsized, right? Um, Or you're given an early retirement, even if you're given some sort of package and you're 61, 62, Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have uh, some asset base or some other income stream or some part-time work, some way to bridge the gap between 62 and full retirement for yep. for your full benefit, you really don't have an option. You have to take it early, right? Yep. So that's just kind of a knock-on effect of um, um, not, not having saved. Not having saved, yep. right. And so um, that's, that, that's the first option. The next option is obviously just waiting till full retirement, taking the full benefit at full retirement, and that's by far the most common thing mm-hmm. that we see, right? Mm-hmm. Folks just assume I'm at full retirement. I'm going to go ahead and take it. The idea being, if I defer, I need things to fall my way. And that's not a guarantee. It's not tangible. If I take it today, that's real. It's in my hands. Mm-hmm. I have it. So there's some, I think, psychological uh, benefit that people feel from that. Sure. But the most uncommon thing that we see, and this is what 
I really hope resonates with people and that folks take from this episode is consider the benefits of deferring, right? Um, if you have a decent level of savings and if you have um, someone that you're working with or someone that is well-versed and can help you walk through the logistics and, and put together a plan, consider waiting. Just because you hit 66 doesn't mean you have to take it. The benefit will go up 8% per year that mm -hmm. you defer. Yep. Okay. Now that's big. Wow. Essentially what that is saying is we are the government is giving you a guaranteed 8% return for deferring. Now, what does that mean for you, the the individual? It means I'm going to have to be comfortable watching my account balance potentially go down at a faster rate than I would like because I'm going to have to get that money from somewhere. I still have a life. I still have a lifestyle I'm trying to maintain. So I'm going to have to draw on my own savings. But what it does mean is let's say you wait four years and you do wait until 70. Yeah, you've been drawing down pretty heavily, but the benefit will be so increased when you turn 70. What that means is the spigot on the, on the portfolio, on your savings, gets turned so very low that you're going to make it back on the back end. So uh, I think Michael, just because I've heard him do it so many times, he has a really good way of explaining kind of the, the calculation that we do for people, the, the mm -hmm. math that you're walking through on, on saying, you know, what's the break-even analysis? Does this make sense for you or does it not yeah. in terms of should you? Because it, it might not be always saying defer till 70, right? That's the latest you can possibly defer. Maybe it's two years or... Yeah. Well, in, in, in the math, like, so to put this in real numbers, if I'm getting $100 at 65 at 70 five years later i'm getting 150 dollars almost it's 146 something like that the the reality of that 50 percent increase is that then that's going to continue for the rest of my life now inflation adjusted right and for inflation adjusted now what what happens though if i die at 71 that was a bad bet if i die at 72 it was a bad bet if i die at 73 it was a bad bet and you can go through, and, and essentially what the government's doing is just looking and saying, well, statistically, we know if you live to exactly your life expectancy, it shouldn't matter when you take it. The break-even is your life expectancy. And so really, for most people, it's as simple as, am I one of the healthier or less healthy people? Um, and most people, I think what they, they do is they make the mistake of not really evaluating their own health as much as they just look and you say, hey, do you want a thousand bucks? And people are like, sure. Well, what you're not saying is, sure, I'll take the thousand rather than waiting five years and getting 1500. Uh, if, you, if you put it in those terms, could you replace $12,000 a year for the next five years? Uh, could you generate that in income so that when you retire, you have a bigger, a bigger uh, check coming in? If you put it in those terms, some people would say, yeah, sure, I could. Uh, some people would say, yeah, I can spend my own assets. Some people would say, yeah, but I don't want to. It's just most people don't know that you need to have that conversation. And then the other thing I'd say is looking forward, the decisions that you make today are going to be affected when one of a couple dies. So making joint decisions, having a strategy as you go into these decisions is really important. Um, so if you and your spouse... Uh, even if you've made one decision and now you're like, okay, well, what's the second decision we need to make? Um, it can be really complicated. I think there's 76 different permutations, decisions you can make. Um, talk to somebody, get some information so that you make a good decision. Anything you want to add? 
I don't think so. I think that was that was a nice bow on it. I feel smarter just listening to you. So do I. So do I. Thank you guys uh, yep. very much. We will see you next week. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com. Thank you.